Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is uh, episode 26, season two. Sorry about that. (laughs) If you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. You've been here a while. Well, you know what I'm going to say. First and foremost, I love you. Second, don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. And while you're there, check out my amazing food and product photography. I'm a professional photographer. It's what I do for a living. You need photos? Hit me up. If you've got questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. All right. So how is everyone? How was your weekend? Did you make anything super yum-tastic? I, uh, I did. And I want to share this with you because it was really, really, really fucking good. Um, and it also happens to be... I don't know. It's not technically gluten-free, but it's de- it could be. Uh, you could easily make this gluten-free, and it's definitely vegan. So if that ticks any boxes for you, have at it. I made the best miso-glazed eggplant dish I have ever uh, made. It was super simple. Uh, kind of made the recipe up on the fly, so... I will try to put this in the show notes if I remember. Um, Super easy though. I took some smaller Italian eggplants that I had from my local farmer's market, cut them in half, and then scored them. Seared them in a hot pan, golden brown kind of on each side, a couple of minutes on each side, and made like a paste of white miso, um, a little sesame oil, tiny bit of soy sauce, some light brown sugar, um, definitely put some chili flake in it. I'm trying to think if I put anything else. Oh, a little bit of mirin and a tiny bit of rice wine vinegar. Then I took this paste and I smeared it on the cut side, the cut scored side of the eggplants. Put those in a baking dish or I think I even used a sheet pan and lined it with parchment. Baked it in maybe like a 450 degree oven for maybe 15 minutes. Like I kept an eye on it. I didn't want it to burn. It got so gorgeous and caramelized and delicious and you pull it out and then I sprinkled it with some chili crisp. Um, If I had scallions, I would have put scallions on top. I have chives still that haven't died from the heat in my garden and uh, some sesame seeds. And then you eat it with chopsticks, like 
pieces at a time from the center of the eggplant. So you really never eat the skin of the eggplant, just the meat in the middle. Um, and I made some peanut sesame noodles to go with it. It, it was so fucking good. I'm salivating thinking about it. It was so, so, so good. Highly recommend it. Really took no time. Very satisfying. Um, if you're avoiding sugar, honestly, this is not the recipe necessarily for you. The sugar really um, added a nice caramelized layer of flavor and it helped balance out the saltiness and the umami bomb that is miso. So... I, uh, and if you're, if you're worried about your salt intake, this is probably not your recipe either because miso has a ton of salt in it, um, or sodium, but it was, it was so, so, so good. So I highly recommend that. I will either link a few recipes in the show notes that like fall into, that I kind of riffed on, or if I have time, I will write something and throw that in the show notes. Okay. Enough about miso eggplant. We have a long, I, this, this, this talk went on for a while. It was awesome. So we need to get into it. So let's cue that fun music. All right, let's cue this fun music. Here we go. So my guest today, mm, we had a fun conversation. We talked about a lot of things, uh, which you'll hear. It was a lot of fun. He loves wine. He loves all things wine. So much so that he is a best-selling author of a book called Drinking and Knowing Things. He's a certified sommelier. He is a certified wine specialist and a master of wine candidate, which is huge because there's not a lot of people out there doing that. He owns a rum company, which we're going to talk about. He also works for a huge big four consulting firm. I know. And, and, and is the founder of the, and this just blows my mind. We're going to talk a lot about it. The Bhutan Wine Company and leading the development of the wine industry in the Himalayan country. What? What? All right. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Mike Jurgens. So, MJ, we finally got it together. How's it going, my friend? It's going spectacular. And yes, it's been a long time coming. It has. It has. Both of us had like random things in our schedules that popped up but here we are at last well in my defense i was taking the masters of wine exam uh last week and so or when was it yeah 10 days ago so i yeah. was like pretty laser focused on that like as you doing... should be man like you totally need to be for something like that it's intense i've had friends who took it and it's like it's oh, serious it's gnarly. yeah it's yeah it's wicked gnarly um so for people who don't know about about you. Let's give them a little bit of history, a little background. You grew up Southern California. We just got a little gnarly action going on. So uh, there's going to be some SoCal references. I am very <laughs> sure about it. So yeah, just give give the listeners a little bit of like who you are, man. Cool. Uh, yeah. Grew up in SoCal. Uh, one of the few natives. Um, grew up in a little beach town called Newport Beach. Um Skate not punk. a hold on that is not a little beach town you're a bougie if you're in newport beach like <laughs> well, come and, and, on man but in my defense 50 years ago sure. it was a little beach town now it is bougie as shit yeah. so I, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly but when i grew up there when i went to elementary school there like it was like this little 
it was a little beach town. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, different okay. these days. But yeah, so you know, skateboard punk. Um, you know, grew up living that that lifestyle, and uh, then eventually started doing all kinds of weird stuff from you know running adventure races to teaching at universities to running the wine consulting business for a global consulting firm to founding the Bhutan wine company and pursuing some wine certifications and starting a rum company and playing the drums and punk rock bands and uh, writing a bunch of books and yeah, just have done, I've had the opportunity, I've been blessed enough to live the life that I wanted to live, which is not the life that is for everybody, but it's been great for me. Yeah, totally. Like you are not somebody who, um, you're like Beyonce. You've got more than 24 hours in the day. You're very high energy. You you accomplish a lot probably in a single day. Am I right? Well, so I, I do, but there's a reason for that. Um, and I would like to thank the California family court system for mm. helping me figure that out because uh, I went through a really gnarly divorce. And uh, at the time I had like a, my divorce lasted 13 years. Oh my God. Yeah. I was married for 11 years. It took me 13 years to get divorced. Um, oh my God. Thanks to the state of California. Um, the laws are just pretty fucked up. Anyway. Yeah, they're intense. So, uh, but during that, so I had 50-50 custody of my kids and uh, and my kids were young. And so they were in like three different schools and I had girls in cheerleading and a boy and baseball and stuff. So the only way I could get stuff done and like manage my job and my commitments is I would get up at three o'clock in the morning and I would work for like three hours and then I would take care of kids stuff and then I would work for another couple hours and then I would pick up kids from school and do afternoon shit and then and, and then I would work for a little bit yeah <laughs> but then did that and then I would stay up until midnight and like I, I only slept like four hours a night but it was I was in pure survival mode like yeah, it was totally. the only way to do it and then the kids got older and right. all of a sudden I had capacity for days and people were like dude how do you have so much time I'm like well because I I spent 10 years working from yeah. three till midnight and now all of a sudden Oh I have God. time to do shit that I want to do. So That's it wasn't it wasn't planned and I don't recommend it to anybody, but it worked. Perfect. Yeah. I um I've worked in many punk rock bars uh all across in Southern California in here in the Boston area. And so I know a lot of musicians and it takes a certain special someone to be a drummer. I've dated drummers. I know what the loaded and loadout is. I know how like I I understand it so well. I lived with a drummer. It's it's a special. There is a special type of person to be a drummer, and so like with that, I can see why you've got so many other things going on. Because as a drummer, you're not just strumming a guitar, a guitar and singing, like or not even singing or playing just the bass. Like you're there's a lot of action that you need to be aware of, and like you drive the song a lot of the time. I, you know, I would argue that the drummer is the heart of the band, although the singer and the guitar player would argue. With I, they all, everyone argues. I mean, if do, you're in a band what, and you don't argue, like what, there's no, I mean, no one. Do you know McGrady's? I didn't realize you were in yeah. Boston. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, I used to bartend at TT the Bears in Cambridge right next to the Middle East for a long time. And now it's RIP no more. Um, Middle East yeah. bought it. 
Yeah, and I think the Greavies was like the foggy goggle before yeah, that. Yeah, it was. And then the Dropkick Murphys bought it and yep. turned it into a Dropkick's bar. Boston's, yep. a good, Boston's a good punk town. I mean, it's no SoCal, but it isn't. Know. No, I mean, I lived in San Diego for a long time. So I bartended at Scolari's office on uh, 30th University in North Park okay. before North Park turned into PB. And like North Park was still gritty and like I got that robbed was, and it felt was, great. W- that was like in the, the heart of like the Blink-182 and Rocket from the Crypt days. Yes, yes. And I was there, like I spent my 20s in SoCal. So uh, I, yeah, and I was in or in like the early 2000s. I bartended at Dublin's in, yeah, yeah. Justin Timberlake's yep. 21st birthday. I was there. I bartended it. That's Dropping awesome. names. Anyway, but so like I get I get your vibe. I get your scene. Like I and on top of that, though, like we're going to get into all of all of the uh, what you're doing now. But you ran this huge fine. You were a huge financial guy. You probably yeah. still are. But you like you had a whole different life yeah. before this. So what made you switch from that to was what came first, rum or or wine? So no, uh, wine came way, way, way first. But so what happened was, is I, I went to, um, long story short, mm-hmm. um, I started a failed business when I was very young and I, and I decided that I didn't know anything about business and I needed an MBA. Mm-hmm. And so, but I didn't have a college degree. So I got to start like, somewhere though, right? Like got to start somewhere. So I convinced the University of California, Irvine, to let me into this weird little program where you could do an MBA and an undergrad at the same time. And so I did that. Which is so like cool. unheard of now. And I bet it only cost you like 900 bucks a semester back in the no, day. No, it was more expensive. Actually, it's a, it kind of a funny story. So I went to them. It, it was called the 3-2 program. And the way it worked was um, you you would do your first three years of undergrad. And as long as you finished all of your required classes, then you would start the MBA program and your last, your first year of the MBA program would count as all of your elective credits. So I went to, I went to the business school and I said, Hey, I want to do this. Um, and they're like, you don't go to school here. <laughs> I go, I know. They're like, but you barely graduated high school. I and barely graduated high school. Like literally I was like 392nd in a class of 410 or something like that. I barely graduated, but I was like, I want to do this. And, um, and they said, uh, okay, um, how are you going to do this? And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start at UCI. I'm going to finish all of my requirements for my undergraduate degree in a year. And they're like, ha, 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 ha. Okay, well, well, if you do that, we'll take you into this special program. And so I, I started and I did it. I finished all of my requirements for my undergrad in a year through, like, you don't even want to know what it took to yeah, make that grinding. shit happen. Yeah. But it was... And so then I showed back up at the business school and I'm like, yo, so I'm here. And they're like, oh, we didn't believe you. We already accepted some, because it would only be one person a year. Only one person could do it. And I was oh. like, you guys fucking promised me. And I I held up my end of the bargain. I did my, and they're like, well, we didn't believe you. I go, that's not my fucking problem. And so they said, okay. So the year I did it, they took two people instead of one. Um, oh my God. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. I mean, I was, I was doing weird shit like, uh, I was going to, um, I remember the local uh, community college had this, I, I needed PE credits, but they had this thing where if you if you went on a camping trip over the weekend and you wrote a journal about it, they would give you half credit 
for a PE class. And I did it twice. I went on two camping trips. That's how I got my PE requirement was I went camping That's with awesome. the local community college. Anyway, so while I'm at business school, uh, a big four firm comes on campus and they're, and I didn't want to work for an accounting firm. I'm like, fuck those guys. Yeah. And, um, but I figured the interview would be really uh, a good practice. And so I interviewed and they offered me a job and I was like, nope. And they're like, why did you interview with us? And I'm like, I thought I wanted to practice. Like, I don't want to work for you guys. I'm fucking accounting firm. Fuck that. And, uh, and so one of the dudes just hassled me for like four months. Oh my and God. finally I was like, fine, I'll do it for a year. But if it sucks, I'm quitting. Oh my God, uh, like an angry was, uh, teenager. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That was 27 years ago. And I'm still, I'm still at the same big four firm. And I've -uh. been a partner there. Yeah. I've been a partner there for 20 years. And, uh, it's been an awesome and just the greatest job ever. Um, but but in that vein, where when I started, I did more the financial side of it. And then over the years, I sort of morphed it into more like the wine side of the business. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, it's been the same firm, same job for 27 years. I just have changed what I do for them. Wow. You reframed it, which a lot of people don't. They get stuck in the mundane and the grind of every day. And they, it's almost like they can't see outside of the grid. They can't see outside of the little box they had put themselves in. And they don't think they can break through the walls and go anywhere else in the position. But you were able to see outside of that and reframe it and recraft it to what worked yeah, for you yeah. over time. I mean, this wasn't like you woke up one day and you're like, oh, now we're doing this. It was probably a long game process. It was. And I think over the years, what's happened is I, I have, I'm pretty good at like starting businesses. And so I think I've started seven businesses for the firm mm -hmm. over, over the last 27 years where you get an idea, you take it to the marketplace, you can sell services around it, you build it up and, and you go forward. And, and so uh, I think I've developed enough um, credibility in in this, that when I said, now I want to do this with wine, they're like, well, you, you've been successful doing it with like Why not? security. So sure, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll let you give it a go. Uh, but it, it's, I think it's a combination of, to your, to your point uh, about getting stuck in the rut, it's a combination of putting yourself out there and taking the risk and yeah, being 100%. willing to like, I think this is a good idea. I'm going to fucking go for it. Yeah. And it may not work. Um, yeah. but I'm going to do what I can to make it work. And if, if so, um, you know, then. I agree with you. And like, really there, I, I, and I hate to use the cliche, but like, I really don't think there's anything that is really a failure in my life. Like there's things that didn't work the way I thought they would work, but then you learn so, so much, even from the smallest little thing that doesn't work out the way you thought it should. And then it works out differently good or bad, indifferent, doesn't matter, but you can learn from absolutely every, every moment. If you're open to it, if you're not open to it, then things are a failure. They, you know, you hit rock bottom and whatever. I just choose not to see it in that way. And maybe that comes from a privileged standpoint. I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's more like stoic philosophy in the sense of there's no good. There's no bad. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's just stuff. And mm -hmm. you can sort of react to the stuff in the way that you want to react to that. And and I think I've been fortunate enough to try to, to yeah, 
like shit has not always worked out the way I thought it was going to. Yeah. For sure. But but not in a bad way. You know, it's it's sort of led me to to where I'm now. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we all struggle. Like there's not it wasn't that long ago that, you know, I I couldn't I would go down the grocery aisle and I would have my a little piece of paper with me and write down what I'm putting in the cart because I couldn't afford to go and just check out at the grocery store. And I mean, it's just part of life. Like struggle is, I don't know. I don't oh, know. dude, I, I was, I was homeless for like 18 months. There you go. Like when I was like 19 years old, I lived on the streets. Yeah. Like I remember shoplifting food and like, you think about the moral dilemma of I'm starving and I'm going to steal some food. Yeah. Like that's, I think back on those times, I'm like, God damn, like that was rough. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you do what you got to do. And, uh, it's, it is what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah, I do feel like I should go back to the, the Vaughn's store that I know and, and, and like start handing out some gift cards and be like, listen guys, I'm wicked. Sorry. Yeah. I'm but... real sorry. But like, thank, thankfully you guys never, you know, busted yeah. me and I was able to eat, I eat and I was able to, you know, get to where I am today. But yeah, it's, like it, it's not all been rainbows and fucking unicorns. For no, sure. but it's how you look at it, right? Like you could have looked at when you were homeless as like, I hit rock bottom. I can't go anywhere. I'm, this is it. I'm fucked, but you didn't, yeah. you know, nope. you're like, Nope, I got to make, I got, I got to keep going. I got to keep going forward. How am I going to keep going forward? This is how I'm doing it today. Tomorrow's yep. a different day. You know? And <laughs> I mean, it's, I, Hey, it, the hustle is real. I feel it too. I'm the same way. So Let's bridge the gap from finance, which you do now, but you've got all these great offshoots. So wine and then rum. Am I right with this? Wine came first and then rum? rum yeah. Wine. So wine. So I I got interested in wine when I was about 22. Uh-huh. And I, I have a theory about this, that uh-huh. there are there are certain things that we as humans are neurologically wired to appreciate. Um uh-huh because of generations of tribal living. So one of those is running. Like mm. uh, people, you know, back in the day, you'd throw a stick at an animal and it would, you'd wound it and then you'd run after it for three days and eventually it would just bleed out and die. And then you'd pick it up and carry it back to the tribe and you guys would survive. Yep. And so this is why people run marathons because somehow they, they, they flip that switch in their brain that says go run long distances and, and they do it. And wine to me is one of those. We've been making wine for seven, eight, 10,000 years. It's community. It's medicine. That's how we used to purify water. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to people who are into wine, they can always tell you about their experience where the switch flipped. And so my switch flipped when I was about 22. Um, and it was, I was with my dad and my dad had been gifted a bottle of wine and he asked me if I wanted to drink it. And I said, no, because <laughs> yeah. wine was for sissies. Sure. Um, uh, but we drank it anyways. And, and the switch flipped and I was like, oh shit, there's something here. And so I, I was like curious about it and just kind of explored it for a number of years and then decided eventually to, um, to get serious about about learning and I studied for my sommelier certification and then I studied for my master of wine certification there's 60 masters of wine in the United States I'm trying to become the 61st 
There's more that, astronauts than Masters of Wine. In the it's so intense. Like, and, you know, you watch Psalm, we've watched you know, all of those things and, you know, wine tastes like a garden hose and all the fun <laughs> tasting, right? And like, I have so many friends that have done their sommelier and like their there, like level, whatever it is, because there's levels to it too, right? Like it's not there just- There are levels. Yeah. And it's so intense. And like, there's- a lot of and hopefully you know if and when we'll find out that you are a master you can help perpetuate more women and more like equality and like uplifting because there's a lot of misogyny too within well that- particularly like i think in the somalia community more more so than the masters of wine mm. but like women are actually better tasters i believe than men of wine um, like my girlfriend is a W set diploma holder and she is a better taster than I am. Really? Um, yeah. But she's shit at knowing what it means. <laughs> like, I, I, she'll be like, Oh, this is pine needles. And I'm like, Oh fuck. I, I didn't get pine needles, but I see that. And then she's like, I don't know what this means. And I go, Oh, this means it's from the Dow region in Portugal and it's en cruzada because they have a bunch of, like, she doesn't, she can't connect. The, That's the awesome together. though. But, uh, but yeah, like so women, you guys make a really good team. That's why make, like you meld together so well. We make a good team. Yeah. But uh, it, it is, it's funny. So uh, you mentioned the Psalm documentary. I'll tell you a funny mm. Psalm story. So Psalm was what got me convinced to do it more uh, deliberately. We watched the documentary and I was like, I'm doing that. And my oh, girlfriend God. at the time was like, no, you're not. Because if you remember the movie, like the girlfriends are all like, this is the worst thing yeah. ever. It's intense. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm totally doing that. But if you remember Ian Cobble. I do. Uh, from the documentary. So I was at Pro Wine in Germany this year uh, in May. And I was tasting at a at a Spanish wine booth. And I look over and fucking Ian Cobble standing right next to me. Oh, my and God. And I go, holy shit, you're Ian Cobble. And he goes, I am Ian Cobble. And I go. Dude, like, I watched this movie with you. Like, I'm totally fanboy. I'm not a fanboy guy. Like, I've yeah, met yeah, yeah. tons of celebrities and stuff. But I'm, but I'm totally fanboying Ian yeah. Cobble. While I'm fanboying Ian Cobble, somebody else walks up to me and goes, "You're the drinking and knowing things guy," and fanboys me. And Ian is looking at me like, "Wait, who the fuck are you?" Like, should, oh, it's awesome. Uh, should, should I know who you are more than you know who I am? It was pretty funny. That's so awesome. It's such a small world, man. It's teeny, 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 tiny. That's awesome. And how old is he now, though? Because that came out, what, 10, 12 years ago? 2011, maybe. I would guess he's... uh, 40s? Yeah, early 40s, maybe, late 30s. Yeah. Um, I didn't ask him. (laughs) No, because, you know, when when I watched it, I'm older than he is, but when I watched it uh you know 11 10 whatever years ago it just felt like he was so young in a way that like then then you're like all this time passed i don't age i I don't know how old he is but then like you know when you see them in person you're like oh my god you're real you're yeah i i I had never i mean i'd never met the guy before i I know a bunch of them uh master psalm got yeah wine guys just from being in the space but i had never met him before uh before that random occurrence so in random. Germany. Um, oh my god, I love it. it was, it, literally, like, I'm standing there, like, I'm pouring fucking wine out of a little Corvette, and he's standing next to me pouring wine out of it, and I'm looking at it, like, holy shit, dude. 
You're, you're one of the reasons I'm here. You're if it one wasn't of the reasons for you, I wouldn't be standing here right now. Like that. It was like it was like sort of like meeting like Jello Biafra from the Dead Kennedys. Oh, and just like, going, oh. <laughs> I became totally. that guy for like five minutes. It was great. Totally. No. Totally. I I love it. So um, before we get into the full, because I have so many wine questions, we got to touch on rum. Like. How did you get into the rum making business? It's very different than wine. Like it's why rum? And also, you can't imagine how little I care about rum. I it's obvious. I care not at all about rum. nothing but, about rum. Um, one of my best friends mm-hmm. is a rum guy, ah. and my son is also a rum guy. Yeah, and we were sitting on a patio in Bhutan, in the Himalayas, and mm-hmm. we were looking out over the stunning vistas, and we were having some cocktails. They were drinking rum. I was drinking wine. And my buddy Glenn goes, we should start a distillery. And I go, making what? And he goes, making rum. And my son goes, that's an awesome idea. We should totally make rum. And I go, this is a terrible idea. Like, yeah. we. So, like, so uh, what they can drink for free? Like you'll buy them rum. Like you don't need to, <laughs> to make it. I was like, I was like, dude, making a distillery, first off, huge capital expenditure, huge like licensing issues. And then and then someone's got to show up at 10 a.m. every day and open up the tasting room and deal with the drunks pissing on the floor. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do any of that. That's a terrible idea. However, yeah, I'm a business guy, and so I'm like, look. You could probably name a hundred vodkas. Mm-hmm. You could probably name 50 tequilas. Mm-hmm. You could probably name 50 bourbons. But how many silver rums can you name other than Bacardi that are premium? Uh, not many. Not not many, right? And no. so I go, look, like if you were trying to create a product, here's a category, high-end silver rum for cocktails that there's no competition in that space. Like it, it almost doesn't really matter what the product is, but you have a, a category with one dominant producer. If mm-hmm. you can just create a, a product that competes, um, you're going to be successful. And so we, I said, look, if we're going to do this, let's do it this way. Let's go straight at um, this category and let's, let's worry about, product rather than experience like we don't necessarily need a distillery with a tasting room mm-hmm. we need an awesome product and so we focused on the recipe spent about four years dicking around with it finally dialed it in um and then ended up making this this silver rum that got the highest point rating in history of any silver rum and started started selling it. um and it's been a it's been a Really, oh, I should probably mention the name of the rum. <laughs> this, I was going to ask you, and then we were going to talk about the styles that you make. But please go right ahead. Yeah, so it's called SoCal rum, uh-huh. uh, and it is it is a silver rum. We call it a platinum rum because we mm. think it's better than silver. Uh, and it is it's literally if you want the best mojito in your life, if you want the best daiquiri in your life, it's it's that. It's not shitty. It's not bitter. It's very light and citrusy and floral, and uh, uh, it's just great. And it's twenty bucks. You know, cheap. 20, $20 for a 95 point spirit is, yeah, it's absurdly because, you know, my brother, he lives in Brazil. And so I have had many, many, many versions of cachaça 
which is rum adjacent. And my husband's a huge rum guy, but he's a spiced rum guy, which is very different than a silver rum. But any way you, you slice it, I'm not a rum drinker. I'm a tequila drinker and wine and whatever. Yep. But when you, for me, when I experience rum, there is a very uh, strong aftertaste. Even if you're tasting it, like what you just described uh, sounds delicious. And I would actually enjoy your style of rum versus, uh, some other ones that I've had over the years, like whether it's in the Caribbean, whether it's in, you know what I mean? It's just not my. Well, so you, so you got to understand like how rum was made. Like, so back in the day, like you would grow sugar cane. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you pick a mature sugar cane, like sugar juice runs out of the bottom. It's like, it's this clear liquid. It's like free run um, juice in wine or like extra virgin olive oil. And so what would happen is, is back then they would use that for like higher benefit stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they would like sort of press the sugar cane down and they'd get like the second press uh, and it, and they would use that for other higher value shit. And then at the end, when everything was done, they would take the, the, the mashed up sugar cane and they would boil it down to like this mud and they would press it. And what would come out was, we call it black strap molasses. It looks mm -hmm. like mud. And then that's what they would make the alcohol, that oh. fifth press. Um, and it, it sort of makes sense. You're, you got this little village, you got the sugar cane field, you're using the sugar for other stuff. And then whatever's left over at the end, the garbage, you make some booze out. Of it. And it's really harsh and bitter. So you have to put a bunch of fruit juice in to like cut the bitterness. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you do that for 200 years. And now that's the style. Yeah. And, and so what a lot of the, producers do today is they emulate that style and all we did this is god's honest truth this came out of like my first conversation with some rum people i was like well what if you just started with the first press stuff yeah like the free run juice wouldn't that be better and they're like no 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 no, it's way too expensive and uh, i go so they didn't say it wouldn't be better they just said no no, no it'd be way too expensive so way too expensive yeah, yeah and i'm like dude i Tur turns out I, I can do math. I can do yeah. finance. How much more is it? And so like they told me and I like did the math and it was like a nickel a bottle of cost. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Nickel? Who cares? Uh, yeah. We're doing that. And so that literally is the secret to our success. All we did was wow. start with the first press instead of the fifth. And wow. because of that, there's no bitterness. There's no bite. There's no shitty aftertaste. You don't need to cut it with a bunch of sugary fruit juice to make it drinkable. Mm. Um, and people are like, this is the greatest ever. And we're like, yeah, well. Right. You don't cut corners and this is what you yeah, decided we, to do. So, it, it, costs, it costs an extra nickel. You're welcome. I know. So do you just make the one style of platinum or do you you branched out now? No, we just make the one style. And our, our goal is to, I mean, we, we're, we're playing around with some aging right now, aging in barrel. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to really make something that's good in barrel, it takes, Time. let's say, 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, but I, like you look at Tito's vodka. Tito's has been pretty successful. They make a $20 vodka and yep. it's, and it's good and it's, it's not shitty. And no, that's what they do. no, and it's, they have name recognition now. So people, yeah, so we're they don't say, no one says, can I get a vodka and soda anymore? They'll say, oh, can I get a Tito's and soda? Oh, can I get, you know, and like, that's the the brand goal in terms of marketing as a marketing person. Like, that's what you, you want. I would love it if people would say, I want a SoCal Coke. Yeah, exactly. 
Like that's or what you SoCal want. Or SoCal Mojito or whatever. Yeah. 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 SoCal backwards. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, no one knows that a Kleenex is not just, right? That, right? Well, like it's a Kleenex. Like people yeah. are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so what's your favorite way to drink your rum? I'm a wine guy. Like I, I know really you are, but you just got, you come on. You got to say something. So, so here's, here's what happens. So my buddy Glenn, who is like the, the, the rum guy in all of this, um, he makes rum cocktails uh-huh. where he like researches and, and like, I go to his house and he has 47 little bottles of different shit and he's smashing shit and lighting stuff on fire. And, and so he does that. And if he does that, I will drink it 100%. Yeah, sure. It lends a good time. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm at home and I decide I want a rum drink, which is rare, it's rum and Coke. There you go. Boom. Done. 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 I respect that. Surprise. It's a part one and a part two-er. Yay. Like the gift that keeps on giving. So come back next week and you're going to hear all about wine, wine regions, Bhutan, you name it, we got it. And plus we're answering your listener questions. So you got to come back because the conversation just gets better. I know it's hard to believe, but it does. For all of Mike slash MJ's information, go to my website in the show notes, elizabethrfuller.com. If you've got questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in your food adventures or wine adventures or rum adventures, any kind of adventures. I like to see them or cute puppy videos or cat videos, mostly puppy. Uh, Let's go on a food adventure on Instagram. All right, you guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. So make some yummy food together. Lead with kindness. And I'll see you next Friday. Bye.